Thank you, choir. Hey, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Joshua, chapter 3, the third chapter there in the book of Joshua. Go ahead and hold your spot there. We're not starting a brand new series uh, today. Uh, the plan is to do that beginning next Sunday. But today, uh, looking at a message that just sort of stands alone, but I think it's really applicable for the year we've come out of and also just kind of where we are right now at the beginning of a brand new year, looking at a message in Joshua 3 entitled New Beginnings. You probably realized um, the same way that I have that new beginnings come in a variety of ways, right? It's not just the start of a year, even though that in itself is a new beginning. Once the calendar turns from December to another January, I mean, you can't help but your mind to begin going to things from the previous year that, uh, that, that you were a part of that you don't want to be a part of anymore, right? You're going to kind of turn over a new leaf. You know, that goes with the turn of a new year. And sometimes there are things that you did in the previous year that you want to do better or, or just tweak a little bit, do a little bit differently. That goes with the turn of a new year as well. But there are a lot of other types of new beginnings as well, that new, new beginnings come in a variety of shapes and sizes. They come in a variety of ways. You know, here in this room today, if we could somehow chart all of the new beginnings we've had, I mean, they would be a list a mile long, right? And some of those new beginnings would be uh, new beginnings that we initiated, right? Steps that we took. Maybe you started a new job and you chose to go out and pursue a new job on your own, and that was a new beginning for you. Maybe you made the decision to get married, and uh, that was a new beginning for you. Maybe you started a brand new family, you adopted, or you had a child, and, and that's a brand new beginning for you. Many of the new beginnings of our lives, you know, we have some control over, right? We, we start them. We step into those. But but, but really on the other side of the coin, there are also a lot of new beginnings that come that we didn't desire, that we didn't begin. They sort of came to us. For example, you may have started that new job as a new beginning because you were let go of the previous job or your position was phased out or something changed in the company and, and you were in a position where you had to step into brand new territory. Or maybe you got a, you know, a health report from your doctor and you're on a new diet now that you weren't on before because your blood pressure went up or something else changed and, and now you're, you're kind of in a new beginning. You're having to look at the foods that you eat differently than you used to and you're having to think about those things in a way that you didn't have to just a few years ago, and that's a new beginning. It's, it's a new stage of life. It's, it's new territory, and, and, and you didn't really ask for it. It just sort of happened, right? It came from outside of yourself, and, and many of those new beginnings that we experience in life, a lot of those we embrace, and we're glad for them, and we, and we thank God for them, but other new beginnings that come, we don't embrace, at least not easily, and some of those we resist, and we push them off. So, so th this is where the tension is because we're, we're at a place today where on the calendar, very obviously, is a new beginning. A lot of you probably made, whether you call them resolutions or not, you've made some decisions about things you want to do differently. So we're kind of at that place in our year, the very first week of the year, where new, new beginnings and resolutions are on our mind. But here's where the tension comes a little bit. And, and the tension is this. How do we manage those new beginnings in a way that we don't look back and say, you know what, I missed an opportunity. You know, I wasted that new beginning in my life, whether it was one that I embraced or one that I resisted. I wasted the opportunity that came with that new beginning because every new beginning, whether it's embraced or resisted, always carries with it some form of an opportunity. How do we manage those new beginnings in a way to where we don't look back and say, I wasted it? How do we leverage, how do we, how do we work those new beginnings in a way that ultimately is for our good and in a way that grows us closer to Jesus? That's kind of the big question. And is there a place in the Bible that helps us to see some principles 
that when we come to the edge of a new beginning in our own life, some principles that come out that help us to be able to not only learn these principles, but to apply them in a way to be able to look back on that new beginning that came and say, you know what, it was one of the best times of my life. I think there is a place in Scripture. There are a lot of places in Scripture, but one of them we're going to see today is in Joshua chapter 3. When you look at the book of Joshua, the book of Joshua itself is a new beginning, right? The first five books of the Bible are called the Pentateuch. They were the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Uh, Those five books were written, obviously, by God, but he wrote those through Moses. They're known as the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Well, when you get to the sixth book, the book of Joshua, it in itself is a new beginning. It's a transition. And what you find is, is that the story that began in Genesis and expanded all the way through uh, Deuteronomy is now sort of taking a turn. It's act two, so to speak. It's it's sort of turning a brand, not just a brand new chapter, but it's, it's a brand new beginning for God's people there in the book of Joshua. And what we find is, is that in, in, in history, the story started long before we get to Joshua's story. All the way back in Genesis chapter 12, give you a little bit of a set the table moment here. In Genesis chapter 12, God had made a promise to a man named Abraham. And in that promise, he, he promised Abraham a few things. He promised to make his name great, but he also promised that he would give him a land, that from Abraham would come generations of people, right? That, that the nations would be blessed, that God would raise up people to himself. And for his own people, there would be a land that God would promise to them. All the way back in Genesis chapter 12. Well, as you move through the book of Genesis, everything's clicking along. God's people are, you know, they're growing. They're not really known as a congregation of people yet, but they're very much distinctly bent towards God, and they're growing. They're multiplying. We get to the end of the book of Genesis, and God has worked through their history. God is setting the table. 400 years between Genesis and Exodus, however, things change dramatically. And when the book of Exodus opens, what you find is is that God's people are now not feeling so much as the chosen people. They're living as slaves in a land that's not their own. They're living in Egypt. And so God raises up a leader. His name's Moses. and And he uses Moses to lead his people out of slavery ultimately into freedom. And, and the, the whole book bears that name, the book of Exodus, which means a kind of an exit. They're going to be leaving oppression, leaving Egypt, leaving slavery, and they're going to take a step towards that promised land that God had promised all the way back to Abraham. Well, as God sets them free, ultimately they move out of Egyptian slavery, and, uh, and, and, he, and God puts them in a place where for the next year or so, he communicates to them his laws, and he gives them some structure, and he puts things in place to help keep their focus and their worship on him alone. And he, and he introduces himself in, in, a, in a fresh way to Moses on Mount Sinai. And over that year's time, God is molding and he's shaping and he's instructing his people. Well, whenever we come to the book of Joshua, however, we're reminded of something that's a drastic turn in the story. Joshua would be a new leader. Why is that? Because the people of Israel would choose not to follow Moses' lead. Ultimately, they would choose not to even trust God. And rather than step into that promised land, they would shrink back in fear. And every one of the adults in the land of Israel would ultimately die without seeing the promised land, except for two, one man, Caleb, and another, Joshua, who we read of in this book that bears his name. So when we get to Joshua, we find a new leader, We find a new generation of Israelites. 
we find the same old promise that God had a promised land for his people. And now Joshua is going to stand at the edge of what we can call today a brand new beginning. And the people of Israel stand there with him. And as they stand at the edge of this brand new beginning, what God's going to do is that he's going to teach them some principles to prepare them as they step into their new beginning. Which here's what's going to happen. Those principles pick up and they translate, drop right down into the new beginning that you might face today. And they apply perfectly and beautifully. And we see them right here in Joshua chapter 3. So here's what happens in the first two chapters of Joshua. Chapter 1, Joshua shares as the new leader now, Moses is dead and gone. Joshua shares with his officers, his commanders, hey, we're about to go in, cross the Jordan River, and we're going to take the promised land. In chapter 2, they send in a couple of spies. They stay with a woman named Rahab, and they spy out the land. They basically come back in chapter 2, verse 24 in Joshua, and say, hey, listen, good news. God is going to give us this land. This is, this is about to be ours. I mean, this is good stuff here. God is going to provide for us. He has surely given us this land. And in chapter 3, it all begins to go into motion. And they stand right here at the edge of a brand new beginning. It's not a new year. But it's a brand new beginning, and it's the same principles that they learn. we can drop down into the new beginnings in our lives as well. So let's jump in. Joshua chapter 3, let's begin in verse 1 and begin to move slowly through the first part of this chapter. So it says in chapter 3, verse 1, Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and he and all the sons of Israel set out from Shedem, and they came to Jordan, to, to the Jordan, the Jordan River, and they lodged there before they crossed. Now, this would be somewhat interesting territory because for this generation of Israelites, they would have surely known the story back in Moses' day from their previous generation that when they left Egypt, they left by crossing the Red Sea on dry ground. It was a huge miracle. It was like the Old Testament equivalent of Easter for us today, right? It was when God showed up, when God delivered them. They remembered that, I'm sure. They had heard the stories of what that was like. And now here they stand a new generation in a new beginning on the edge of that very promised land. And they're at the edge of, a, uh, of the Jordan River, which has overflowed its banks, right? He tells us later in that chapter, it's overflowed its banks. This is a brand new day for them. And God begins now to give them commands. It says, interestingly, that Joshua, when he rose, that he and all the sons of Israel set out. And they came right there to the edge of this new beginning, the Jordan River. And you're looking at probably 2 million plus people that are there. This is a huge nation of people that are, that are standing here at the edge of this Jordan River. It is a new day and, 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 and expectations could not have been any higher. Look at verse 2. Joshua continues. He says, at the end of three days, the officers went through the midst of the camp. And they commanded the people. Remember, in chapter 1, Joshua had told the officers what was going on. Now everybody's about to hear about it. And they went throughout the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God with the Levitical priests carrying it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. The Levitical priests, who were they? Well, remember, I shared earlier that when Israel came out of slavery and they crossed the Red Sea for the next year or so, God would pass along to them certain truths about himself. <clears throat> he would put into place structure and, uh, and he would pass down laws to them to keep his people close to himself. Well, part of the structure was a creation of the priesthood that would help to lead the people spiritually. And so here in Joshua 3, you see the command that the Levitical priests are going to have the ark 
of the covenant. What is the Ark of the Covenant? Well, if you ever watched Raiders of the Lost Ark, you got a little bit of info. I won't say it's all accurate, right? At least from a theological perspective. Uh, but, but you're familiar at least with the concept. Here's the biblical picture of the Ark of the Covenant. In a very simple form, the Ark of the Covenant was not a magical object. It wasn't like a, you know, a, a holy stone that you could rub and suddenly you know, God's blessings flow. It wasn't that at all. It was a visual symbol, a literal visual symbol of the presence of God. And that Ark of the Covenant would be placed in the tabernacle, later it would be placed in the temple. And it was a visual reminder there for God's people in the Old Testament that this is where God's presence is. And so what happens here, Joshua makes a very important command. He gives them a very important command. He says to all the people commanded, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God with the priest carrying it, then you need to go out from your place and go after it. When you see it up and go, you need to up and go as well. Right? When it moves, you need to move. Why is that? Because it is symbolic of where God is leading. And let me just say that he was telling them in this important crucial spot, when you stand at the very edge of this brand new beginning, you're standing there. You see the Jordan River? There's the whole Jordan River. This is impassable for two million of us. When you stand here at this new beginning, God is not leaving you here alone. He is going to go before you. And when you see the ark go, man, you need to get up and you need to go too. And the simple principle is this, the first we're going to see today, there's three of them. The principle is this, that when you come to your new beginning in your life, whatever that looks like, if it's a new marriage, if it's a new job, if you move to a new town, if you just recently came through a new diagnosis, whatever it may be, positive, negative, when you come to a place, when I come to a place of a new beginning in our life where we obviously know things are different, we have to, uh, uh, we, it is imperative that we identify and then follow God's lead. I mean, it is crucial because if we don't, when we come to a place where we would say this is a new beginning, let, let's say a, 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 a health crisis comes, or let's say it is a, um, a financial issue, right? And you're living in a different, j- just a different state of life than what you once did. Or let's just say you've retired. Now you've got all these savings at your disposal, right? Whatever it may be, when you come to that new beginning, if God's desire is not identified and if his lead is not followed, you are going to chart a brand new path in exchange. And more often than not, that path will lead you towards self, self-trust, self-sufficiency, self-dependence, and away from a deeper faith in God. And so Joshua didn't assemble everybody here and say, all right, let, let, let's, uh, let, let's get some input. How many of you think we should cross in the morning? Raise your hands. How many of you think we should build some boats? How many of you think we should build a bridge? He didn't get input. What Joshua is doing here is he's setting a very clear example. He's saying God is in charge of this new beginning. When the ark gets up and goes, it's symbolic of God moving and going, and we need to get up and we need to move with it. One of the best things you can do when you come to a place, a new beginning in your life, is to identify where God is leading and then follow his lead. Identify where he's leading and then ultimately follow his lead. Look, look at what happens next to verse 4. <clears throat> he says, however, there shall be between you, he says to the people, and it, the Ark of the Covenant, a distance of about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it that you may know the way by which you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. 
That's interesting. Keep a distance. People who are far smarter than I am would say this would be about a half a mile in distance. That he tells these two million plus people to keep a distance between themselves and the ark. I mean, you would think, right, in a sense, logically, that Joshua would be saying, hey, get up as close to it as you could. This, this is symbolic of God's presence. You don't need to press right up there against it. We're not told any reason why there's this distance. I think it's more logical than anything. And he seems to give us a little clue. He says, don't come near it that you may know the way by which you shall go. In other words, you want to be able to keep it in sight. You've got two million people here who are spread out over space. You keep that half a mile distance or so, everyone's going to be able to see where the ark is. Maybe they had a standard, somewhat of a banner that represented, we don't know, the Bible doesn't tell us, but he says to keep this half mile space, maybe it was because of the holiness, right, of the presence of God. We don't know, he doesn't tell us, but he does make an interesting, an interesting note at the very end. He says, because you have not passed this way before, you are a new generation of people. You weren't there for the Red Sea. You weren't there to see all of the provisions that many of your forefathers saw. You are a new generation at the edge of a brand new beginning. You have never passed this way before. You know what? I don't know of any better definition of a new beginning than that definition right there. A place where we have never passed before. Any of you find yourself in that place this year? Changes that come in life. The new widow says, I don't know what I'm going to do. Never passed this way before. That person going through hardship, that new college student who understands freedom for the very first time. They seem to have no boundaries and they're off in a brand new world and a brand new beginning in their life. And they have the opportunity, if they so desire, to live without restraint, to live without boundaries, to set their own rules if they desire. It is imperative that rather than jumping into that end of the pool, that they identify and that they follow God's lead because they've never passed that way before. God is laying out the simple truth for his people. He's bringing them together under his lead. And he's not just doing it in theory. He's giving them the ark to go literally, visually before them so that they know where he is leading. But it would be up to them ultimately to choose where they're going to follow. Verse number five, look at what happens next. So Joshua said to the people, now this is before they cross the Jordan River. He says to the people, consecrate yourselves For tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Consecrate yourselves. It's almost like Joshua understands that there is a step that each person has to take individually themselves before they're ready to step into this new beginning. He says, consecrate yourselves. Whenever we come to a new beginning in life, one of the best things we can do is identify and then to follow where God is leading. But secondly, one of the best things we can do in any new beginning is to establish Jesus as supreme for us. You say, Brooks, there's no mention of Jesus here in this passage. We'll, we'll, we'll see somewhat similar to this in the, later in the New Testament. Look at what Peter says here, 1 Peter chapter um, 3, verse 15. Peter would say, but sanctify. In other words, that word means much the same as consecrate. It means to set yourself apart, to set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts. 
He goes on to say in this context, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that's in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. What I want to focus on this morning is Peter's admonition to sanctify, to set apart, to identify Christ as Lord in your life in every single area. And whenever we come to a new beginning in life, whether those are good ones, whether those are hard ones, whether they are ones that we embrace or ones that we want to resist, man, I'm telling you, even before we identify and follow God's lead, we have to determine who's Lord. I mean, who's Lord here? Who's Lord in this circumstance? Because if it's a difficult circumstance, and if your new beginning is one that you never wanted, and your circumstances changed, and and, and you didn't hope for this, and and this was like one of your worst nightmares, this new beginning in your life that, that, that has come. Listen, if you can establish that, you know what, Jesus is bigger than this, Jesus has got this under control, and as I follow his lead, he's going to work it out for good, and he's going to take care of me. Listen, that is the, 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 the bulk of the battle right there. Of knowing that you've got a Lord and a Savior who goes before you, who leads the way. He's got a purpose and he's got a plan. And when you establish him as Lord and follow his lead, he's never going to forsake you. He's never going to lead you astray. And so Joshua, before, the battle, the, the, before this, battle, uh, the, the, this crossing even takes place, before the first battle happens in Jericho, Joshua says to each person, you go home. You go, you go to your place, where, wherever this is, temporarily on this bank of the Jordan River, And tonight you consecrate yourself, you set yourself apart, you determine who you are in light of who he is. And that second principle for us is that when we face our new beginnings, we also have to identify, we have to set apart, and we have to ultimately establish that Christ is supreme over everything, over everything we face. Joshua would continue in this passage. Look at what it says in the next verse, verses 6 through 9. It says, Joshua spoke to the priests saying, take up the Ark of the Covenant, cross over ahead of the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and they went ahead of the people. And the Lord said to Joshua, this day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all of Israel, that they may know that just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. You shall, moreover, command the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, saying, when you come to the edge of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the sons of Israel, he said to all the people there, come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting that right here, literally at the edge, he tells the priests, when you get to the edge, you stop there. Because there is one more thing before we step into this new beginning that we need to be reminded of. Not just to identify and follow God's lead. Not just to set apart God for us now in the New Testament era, so to speak. Not just to set apart Christ as Lord in our own lives, in our own hearts. But he also reminds us that in any new beginning that comes in our life, we must ultimately seek to be hearers and doers of the word of God. We have to be faithful to draw near to God and to draw near to his word. He says, everybody pause, everybody stop before we dip one foot in the Jordan River. You come close, everybody gather in, everybody come close. Hear the words of the Lord your God. Now, why would he say this in verse 9? We'll look at what he says in verse 10. Let's go to verse 10. Look, Look at what he says here. Joshua said, by this you shall know, by this word, hear the words of the Lord, by this you shall know that the living God is among you, that he will assuredly dispossess from before you the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Hivite, the Perizzite, the Girgashite, the Amorite, the Jebusite. Hold on a second. Whew. All right, made it through that. 
God said, or Joshua said, draw near, hear the word of God. Why? Because verse 10, it's going to be an encouragement to you. It's going to be a reminder to you that when you stand on the edge of your new beginning and everything is brand new to you and you've never passed this way before, it's going to be his word that's ultimately going to remind you that he's here with you. It's going to be your encouragement. Right? If we close this word off from our lives, what happens is, is that we ultimately close off so much of what God wants to say to us as encouragement in the details of our lives. And maybe we'll pick it up somewhere else. Maybe somebody else will say something encouraging along the way or we'll hear some, you know, a, a song or a comment from somebody that kind of stirs our hearts in encouragement. But listen, if, if we just are faithful to come to his word consistently, it's going to give us the encouragement we need in every new beginning that we ever face in our lives. So Joshua says, draw near, draw near to God, draw near to his word, hear the word of God. God uses it to give instruction. He uses it to give direction. He uses it to give chastisement. Whenever we wander from his way, he uses his word to draw us back to the center of his will. He uses his word ultimately as his greatest influencer in the lives of his people. And at the edge of any new beginning, man, we have to be faithful to be people of his word. Whether, that's new begin- whether, that, new- whether that new beginning is a brand new year or something specific that you face. So let me ask a question. What new beginning do you face right now, today? Outside of it being five days into 2020, only 360 more to go. Outside of that, what new beginning do you find yourself in the midst of today? In your marriage, in your family, in your health, in your finances, in your faith, in any area of your life, what new beginning do you face? And have you recognized the importance that before you take one step further into that new beginning, you have to choose to set apart Christ as Lord and supreme, that you have to identify and follow God's lead and not your whim or your friend's instruction, and that you have to be a person of the Word, digging close into the Word of God, which takes you deeper into the heart of God. You know, it's interesting because when you read the rest of this chapter, what you find is is that the people crossed this river. And they crossed it on dry ground, similar to what would happen in Moses' day. And when they crossed this river on dry ground, they went in to take over a promised land that God had promised, but it wouldn't come easily. And there would be seasons in their life as God's people where they would be on the mountaintop and when they would be in the, in the valley. There would be times when they were close to God's heart and times when they were far from God's heart. But these principles would always apply when they wandered from his truth in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah. When they wandered from seeking the direction of God so that they could follow the leadership of God whenever they would chase after false idols and choose to put human kings in the place of God in their lives. God would always still be faithful, sometimes in his discipline. But many times it was they who suffered. And you know what? For us on this end, on this edge of a new beginning, whatever that is for you, we have to apply these same principles to our lives. And when we do, it's not always easy. (laughs) Life is hard. We live in a fallen world. God's going to redeem it, but he hasn't yet. Thankfully, he does redeem the ones who live in it who call on the name of Christ. But in the midst of that journey, sometimes it's hard if we only become people of his word with Christ set apart as Lord and identify and follow his lead. I'm telling you, 
that's where life is found. Let's pray. God, it's great for us to read a passage like this, pull out a few truths along the way. But Lord, it's a whole other thing entirely for us to actually live it and apply it to our lives. And God, I'd be willing to say in a group this size, Lord, that there are a lot of new beginnings represented in this room right here today that have nothing to do with it being January. Lord, folks that find themselves at a place in life or a stage in life, Lord, that they weren't in just a few weeks or months or a couple of years ago. And Lord, it is crucial for them. It's crucial for every one of us, God, that when we stand at the edge of our new beginning that doesn't have anything to do with the Jordan River, but it's a brand new experience and a way we've never passed before. Lord, we can't afford to go it alone, and we can't afford to just apply what we think is our best idea or what we heard on, you know, read online or heard from someone else. God, we've got to be people who know your word, and we've got to be people who hunger for your heart and who seek to identify and follow your lead above every other voice, above every other, every other instruction that we get. God, we've got to be people who follow your lead because we've already set apart Christ as Lord in us. And Lord, whether we're at the edge of that new beginning right now or whether it comes later this year, God, help us to remember and apply these truths. And Lord, we thank you that above all of it, that you're a God who's always in control. Just like we sang this morning, you're a God who loves us so greatly. Lord, you've not left us alone. You sent your son as our savior who died and rose for us that when we give our lives to him, trust him and what he did on the cross to bring forgiveness, that as we surrender to Christ, Lord, you forgive us and you take us in as your own. Lord, what joy there is in that, what hope there is in that, that no matter what our new beginning may be, no matter how overwhelming or how challenging or how difficult God that we can still cross that river just like they did in Joshua's day because you're a God who's faithful. And so, Lord, whatever decisions we need to make today, Lord, to apply this to our lives, help us to do it. And God, as we sing in just a moment, help us to sing in gratitude for you, for being the God that you are. And Lord, for any here today that have never given their lives to Jesus, I pray that right where they sit this morning, they find new life, they find their own new beginning as they lay down their sin, confess it to you, Jesus, and invite you to forgive and to take over. And so, Lord, bless these decisions. Bless our songs now as we sing praise to you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.